This morning, I'm excited to continue our series, I Can't Even, dot, 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 right, as we're talking about difficult people, people that literally just make us say, I, I, I can't even, I don't have anything, anybody said that this week? I can't even, I can't even deal with you, I'm done, I'm done. Tabitha started out, she did a great job, she talked about hypocritical people, hypocrites. Yeah, you thought, I know who those people are, right? How many of you are them? Nobody's going to admit that. This week, I want to talk about controlling people, how to deal with people who are controlling. That's exciting. You're like, oh, man, that's heavy. How to deal with people who are controlling. What do you mean by controlling people? People who throw fits when they don't get their way. People who, out of fear and insecurity and lack of understanding, feel like they need to control someone else to make them feel better. Controlling is often rooted in fear and insecurity, right? Fear will always lead to control. Here's the thing about control. It's an illusion. You're really not in control. There's very few things in life you actually have control over. Very, very few. But what we really do is we control because we're afraid, we're insecure, we don't know what's going to happen, we can't deal with our stuff, so I think, ah, oh, i got to control this person in their life so I can alleviate those feelings and maybe not even have to take responsibility for my own actions. How many of you know some control freaks? How many of you are sitting next to them? Oh. How, many, how many of you are a control freak? Yeah, control. And I think people who are controlling are not very often malicious. Some people are malicious. More often than not, it's people who maybe don't even realize they're doing it because it's rooted in fear and insecurity. Now, here's what, here's kind of two main weapons of controlling people. Here's what they use, threats and guilt. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you don't do this, I'm not going to. They're not going to. The people won't. Guilt. Hey, you remember when I was there for you? You remember how much I helped you? You remember that time? You remember when you did this three days ago, four hours and five minutes? When you said that, threats, guilt. If you say, well, I don't have any of those people in my life. How have any of you ever had a toddler? They throw fits, right? They, They get their way. They learn how to be effective, and they don't care what people think. Like, How many of you have rushed out of the store because your child just straight up embarrassed you? But you get to the point where you're like, scream all you want. I don't care who looks at me. I'll walk down the aisle with my cart. You can freak out all you want, right? That's what controlling people do. They often act like toddlers when they don't get their way because they control. question then becomes is this. How do we deal with it, and how do we really love people who who attempt to control us? How do we do that? I want to take a look at a story, Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 24. What we find in this particular passage is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, attempting to control Jesus. Not intentionally, not maliciously, but he's really trying to control Jesus. This is the passage where Jesus says, hey, look, I have to go to the cross. I have to die. I have to be taken by the leaders, and they're going to kill me. And Peter is like, there is no way, Jesus, that you are going to do that. Peter's attempting to keep Jesus from doing what he's called to do. Let's dive in. I want you to pay attention to Peter, but I also want you to pay attention to Jesus' response. It says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. 
But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. A better translation is really, get behind me. That, that phrase, get away, means get behind, come after me. But he doesn't call him Peter, he calls him Satan. He said, you are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, hey, if anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Now here's Peter attempting to control Jesus and saying, you cannot do what you just said you were going to do. The reality is, I don't think Peter is being malicious. I don't think Peter is trying to control Jesus. I think Peter just loves Jesus. I mean, because we read that, we're like, yeah, Peter, get behind him, Satan, you you doof. You know, we're like, yeah, I can't believe you, Peter. But we would do the same thing. I mean, Peter was this fisherman who, who every, the goal of every Jewish young man was to follow a rabbi. That was like getting your, your master's degree. That was the height. Peter had studied. He couldn't cut the mustard. He became a fisherman. Here comes Jesus. He says, come and follow me. Peter gives up everything to follow him. He loves Jesus. The last thing he wants to happen, have happen to Jesus is for him to die. So Peter is saying, hey, I don't want you to die. That's not going to happen. And I say, go, Peter. You said what everyone else thought, which he often does. We give Peter a lot of trouble. He's probably the most emotionally healthy person in the Gospels beside Jesus because he puts it out there. And you say, Peter, what's going on? Hey, he just loves Jesus. And he doesn't even realize that he's being controlling. But Jesus recognizes it. I want to give you three things to consider as it relates to dealing with controlling people and how we love them, but how we manage them. And the first thing is this, is you got to know what you're called to do. You have to know your purpose. And I mean beyond just, you know, I get up, I go to work, I do that kind of stuff. All of that's good, but, but what's your purpose? What are you living for? What are you breathing for? What, what's your 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week thing that's bigger and beyond you? Now, as a Christ follower, in general, we can, we can articulate some sort of calling, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I got a you know, great commission. Go and preach the gospel, make disciples. That's what I got to do. But I'm, I'm talking about even a bit more specifically that you can, you can really know and understand that can provide some clarity for you. Like, maybe, just maybe, that your particular calling is I've got a family and I'm going to do what I need to do to provide and to raise this family. That's my immediate calling right now. You know, I didn't realize how much people unintentionally try to control until I became a pastor. Now, this isn't, you know, criticize the people, but, but what I mean is people say, I think you should do this. I don't think you should do this. I think we should go here. And I'm like, hey, I think we should go this direction. Oh, that's great. And then you start doing it. Like, I don't like that anymore. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. And it's like boop, boop, do, 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 everywhere. And it's like, you know what? Like, you want me to do what you want me to do. You want me to do what you want to do. You don't want me to do what I want to do. Like, what do I do? And then I realized, hey, there's some decisions that are the best for the whole that aren't the best for you. And if I do what's best for you, and I don't do what's best for the whole, then that's a problem too. So, yeah, someone's not going to like me. I just got to decide who it's going to be. More than that, I got to know what's the purpose? What's the calling? What am I moving towards that I can be like Jesus and say, hey, I need you to get behind me because this is where we're going. And that comes from God. 
Like for me, one of the things that I've decided is, is you know what? You know what's more important than this church? My family, my wife and my son. I'll choose them every day of the week over you. Yeah. Why? Because it's, it's God, my wife, my son, my job. And see, knowing that, sometimes it makes some people upset when I need you to be over here. And I'm like, well, hey, you know what? My seven-year-old is playing I'm a little teapot at his piano recital this Saturday. So I'm sorry, I can't be there. Well, no, but I really, yeah, but I understand he's, he's seven. He's only going to be seven once. And it's going to mean a lot to him when he's 35 that I was there. That I get to watch him and 25 other kids try to play a song and try to recognize it. You know, but, but that's really important. And, and you got to know what's really important so that, so that you can, when people say, well, I need, or they threat, or they use, they use guilt, you say, but yeah, but, but this is what's important. Maybe your immediate calling is like, you know what? Uh, God, is, God has called me to, to do this, and I, I'm going to go get some education in that vein so that I can more effectively accomplish what he called me to do. That's your immediate calling. It's, it's your immediate purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to love my family right now the best way that I can, or when that doesn't mean just your spouse and your kids, but maybe it's just your immediate family. I don't know. Maybe in your job, right? You're like, I don't really like my job, but there's some people there, and that God is calling you to a people more than he's called you to a place. And God has put you there to be a light, to be a witness, to be a source of hope. And you're like, God, get me out of here. And God's like, hey, love these people. That's your immediate calling. And when you know your purpose is those people, you can put up with their stuff. And then maybe God will move you on. Seek to discover what your immediate purpose is. Like, for me, I have a mission statement for my life. I, I, I exist to lead people to a place of authenticity and action by living a life of learning, adventure, and relationships. If I sit down with you, we're going to have an authentic moment. Chances are, one of us is going to be in tears. <laughs> it just happens. It just happens. And then I'll be like, what do we do? Let's take some action. And we're going to do that. We're going to learn. We're going to have some relationships. And we're going to launch out into an adventure. That's just what I feel like God has called me to do in whatever setting I'm in. From the pulpit, right? From, from a meeting, from, if we're just going for coffee, whatever the case may be. I know my purpose. You know, I was praying earlier this year, and I was like praying about, you know, for Lauren and what, how, what the Lord wanted me to do. And I really felt impressed. For, and this may sound like totally spiritual. So, you know, he said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I'm like, well, okay. Oh, all right, God. So, so you're just going to fill me with all these good feelings about my wife. Like, I'm just going to wake up and be like, you know, the hills are alive. You know, sound. And, and, uh, and I'm like, okay, God, what does this really mean? And I feel like he took me to 1 Corinthians 13, was like, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it keeps no record of wrong. Here, let's zero in on that right now, Josh, because you keep an awful list of, lawn, of things about Lauren, and you kind of use them when you get into an argument. Okay. Uh, it always protects, it always hopes, never fails. Oh, God, you want me to do something. You don't want me to feel something. You want me to have a purpose in my marriage this year, and you want me to love my wife as Christ loved the church, which was totally sacrificial, which was patient and kind. Oh, that's not easy. I got to remind myself, you know, hey, but that is an understanding kind of an immediate calling, right? 
an immediate purpose. And you have to know that. There's just a problem when it comes to knowing that is that we're all people pleasers. Right? I mean, I'm the biggest one. I love to be a people pleaser. I would love if every single one of you wrote me a note or sent me a message. That was the best message I ever heard. (laughs) I mean, that would be so amazing. I'd be on cloud nine, but it's just not real. Right? But that's what I want. And people pleasing is just a big form of idolatry. Why? Because I care more about what you think than what God ultimately says and thinks about me. And I will compromise who I am, what I'm called to do, because it might offend you. And it might make you sad. And it might make you be a little bit critical. That's difficult. Because when you know your calling, immediately, I'm not saying, I'm called to be the next whatever. No, no, just immediate calling. It provides focus and clarity for your life. You're focused. You have clarity. This is the direction I'm heading. I'm, I'm like shot like a rifle, not like a shotgun, right? I'm, I'm headed this way. And what does that do? Oh, it adds value to your yes by empowering you to say no. Everybody just say no. Say it again. One more time. Now say it one more time like you mean it. There you go. There's a scripture. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think one of the things we all need to do is just say no a little bit more. But you can't say no when you don't know what you're saying yes to. When you're saying yes to everything, your no means nothing and your yes means nothing. Now, hey, I'm a chronic yeser. All right? Chronic yeser. You want to be there? Yes. Do that? Yes. And, I, and growing up, you ha- ask somebody who knew me. I was saying yes to everything. I'm over here, then I'm over here, then I'm over here, then I'm over here. When are you going to sleep? Give me coffee. I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. What you do with that is you, you begin to let the people closest to you down. You're ultimately not going to be able to give your all. You can't be everywhere. You can't do everything. And you got to realize, what's my purpose? And is what you asked me to do in line with that? No, no sorry, can't be there. But I really want you there. I know, I'm sorry, I committed to this over here. Well, if you really love me, you'd be there. Well, if you really love me, you wouldn't talk to me that way. If you really love me, you wouldn't have to use a threat and guilt to get me to do what you want me to do. So one of us understands love and one of us doesn't. I don't think it's me. Right? Like, no, say no. So what I want you to do this week is I want you to practice saying no. I want, you to make, I want you to define your yes and be okay with telling people no. Now, you're talking to a guy who doesn't like to say no, who obsesses and worries about what people are going to think when he says no. But I've learned that it devalues and dilutes my yes, right? If I just keep saying yes, 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 and when I say no, no, but when I say yes to something, it is in line with my purpose, with my calling, with what's in the best interest of the church, what's in the best interest of my family, because I said I have an empowered yes. Yes. Controlling people aren't going to like it when you tell them no. They're going to throw a fit. They're going to use threats. They're going to use guilt. But hey, you know what you're called to do. And it's bigger and beyond and it came from the Lord. And you're ultimately pleasing him, not others. Not others. Okay? So the second thing is, know what I'm called to do. second thing is then just recognizing when you're being controlled. Recognize knowing when you're being controlled. Here's the thing. Every person who has a controlling person in their life allows it. Every person who has a controlling person in their life allows it to some degree. I'm not talking about being in a situation where there's domestic violence and abuse. I'm not talking about that, okay? If that's you, there are resources. Get help. Get out. Yes, get out. 
What I'm saying is, if, you are, if there's a controlling person in your life, to some degree, you're allowing that. You're allowing someone to treat you that way. You're allowing them to talk to you that way. You owe some share of the pie of responsibility when it comes to the relationship. Every person who has a controlling person in their life allows it. Now, that's not fun to hear at all, is it? We'd rather say, they're controlling. They're a jerk. They're this. All of it may be true, but you're allowing it. Now, we have to be able to recognize it. Jesus immediately recognizes it, right? Peter says, hey, Jesus, come over here. Come over here. I'm going to talk to you where nobody can listen. And he starts, wham, 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 wham. Jesus recognizes it immediately. How does he recognize it? Because he knows it's in contrast to his purpose eternally. Peter's like, hey, you can't go and die. You can't do that because I don't want you to. Jesus says, Peter, if I do what you want me to do, it may make you happy, but eternity's kind of on the line here, bro. For a lot of people. Now, we don't bear the weight of eternity. But just imagine if Jesus had made Peter feel good, where we'd be today. Peter, I love you. I I, I don't want you to worry. I will stop doing what I'm supposed to do so you feel better. No, Jesus says, hey, get behind me, bro. You're a dangerous trap to me. It's interesting. He understands that Peter isn't malicious because a few verses ago, Jesus says, hey, to all of his disciples, who do people say that I am? They're like, oh, you're a prophet. You're a teacher. Jesus says, no, no, who do you say I am? Here's Peter. Hey, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. He says, hey, you are God. Peter recognizes the divinity of Jesus. And Jesus says, you could only say that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. He wasn't saying, I'm going to build my church on Peter. He was saying, I'm going to build my church on the fact that I am God in the flesh. So Peter goes from, you are God to, you can't be God. Hey, I know who you are. I don't want you to do it. That's why Jesus can say, hey, look, you're thinking about this purely from a human perspective. You can't see through the eyes of God in this moment. So Peter, I need you to get behind me. I need you to get out of my way. You're a dangerous trap to me. That's confrontation, isn't it? Some people say, you need to be more Christ-like. Well, have you looked at Christ in the Scripture? Have you seen how he was not looking for conflict, but when it arose, he addressed it head on? Being a Christian does not mean you're passive-aggressive. It means out of love and with the truth, you're able to confront. Now, don't go look for confrontation. I think people who like confrontation need some more counseling. It's not fun. It is stressful. It, it works against you. And if you're more of a people pleaser, it is really hard. Like you'll stress out over it, but it needs to be done. I think it's important to say, how do we recognize it? And we can look at the scripture and see very clearly, here's what Peter did. He isolated Jesus. It says, Peter took Jesus off to the side, off to the side and began to reprimand him. He didn't reprimand him in public. People who control often isolate and they treat you different in public than they do in private. Because in private, if some people try to, you know, talk to their spouse or a friend the way they do in, 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 uh, in if they do that in public, if they try to do that the way they do in private, people will be like, what is wrong with you? They might, get a, they might just get popped right in the face. And they know that. So they know they have to isolate you, and that's what happens. They isolate you, pull you away from your support network, pull you away from people who are like, I don't think you should be talked to that way. 
I don't really think that's right. And they separate you and they use threats, they use guilt, and they use manipulation. Peter, hey, you can't do that. You will never do that. He loves Jesus. Jesus knows he loves him. But Jesus addresses it. Peter, get behind me. We got to be able to recognize those kind of things. Why are you talking to me this way? Wait, hold on a minute. You said this when we were around a group of people. You love me. I'm so amazing. We get home 30 minutes later. I'm horrible. I shouldn't have talked to this person. Why did you do this? You want to know the real person? The one you're talking to right now in private. The public person is a facade and a joke. It's control. Now, why in the world would you, would you confront that? Because you are valuable. Because you have worth. And that comes from God and it has nothing to do with what people say that you are, what they have done to you. You have intrinsic value and worth. And as a son or daughter of God, you don't deserve to be treated that way. And you need to start standing up for you and valuing you. Like, here's the thing. I love Lauren with all my heart, all my heart. But you know what? She doesn't give me my value. My value comes from him. And she can speak to that value or she can speak against that value. And I can do the same thing to her. But the value is established by God, not by other people, not by circumstances, right? And so you have every right to be able to say, hey, whoa, you just said this? And for the last however many days, weeks, months, or years you've been doing this? Uh Uh-uh. I'm not dealing with it anymore. Drawing a line in the sand, which is the third point. Know what you're called to do? Recognize when you're being controlled and know when to draw a line in the sand. Now, hey, again, abusive situations, domestic violence, I'm not asking you to be a hero. Sometimes drawing a line in the sand is getting out of there when the person's not there and getting shelter. But in situations not that, Drawing a line in the sand is said, hey, you know what? It stops today. You're not going to talk to me that way. You're not going to control me that way. And they're not going to be like, oh, okay, I really think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I've been really struggling with it, and thank you for saying something. No, they're going to act like a toddler in the middle of the store because you're threatening their control over you. God didn't design you to be controlled. He designed you to be led And there's a very big difference. A very big difference. Because I love in the scripture when Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me. He calls him Satan. But he literally doesn't throw him away and say, I'm done with you being a disciple. He says, Peter, I I need you to follow. I know you love me. I know you're trying to do what you think is best for me. But but what really is best for you, Peter, is for me to go to the cross. Peter, I I need you to follow. Let me take the punishment. Let me take the, the sin. Let me take all of that. Peter, get behind me. That was the line in the sand. Peter, get behind me. Because I'm going there whether you follow me or not, but I would much rather you follow me. He drew a line in the sand. We have to do the same thing, and it starts with this. When you allow someone else to control you, in that moment, God is no longer controlling you. God is no longer leading you. You're allowing someone else and their emotions to lead you or to control you. So if you can sit here and say, hey, you know what? I I find myself in those situations. I want to offer you two things to consider. Here's the first one. Is this, that the relationships you have right now are a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. The relationships you have right now are a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. 
Just like if you have a controlling person in your life, to some degree you've allowed it. What have you created? And what are you allowing right now that you need to stop allowing? You do share some of the pie. Not saying all of it, but some of it. Because people who control are not just going to stop, barring the, the God just getting a hold of their life. It needs to be pointed out. What are you going to allow? Here's the second thing. If you don't like what you have, change what you expect and what you accept. What do you expect a healthy God foundational relationship to be? What are your expectations? One of the worst things to have is none. Some of us have expectations that are not rooted in, in what God has created, but in what we saw growing up. And so it's very dysfunctional, but it's normal. It's, it's comfortable. It's what we know. So that's what we expect. Part of being illuminated by God is saying, hey, look, you have value. You have worth. I never designed human beings to treat each other like that. So this is not healthy. And you begin to say, it stops today. I, I'm, I'm going to stop accepting it. And I'm going to start expecting something different. You can pray for that person all day long. Keep Please keep praying for them, but take a step. Stand up for yourself and say, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Maybe, maybe if you're here today and you say, you know what? I think I'm the controlling person. I recognize that's what I'm doing, and it's just out of fear, and it's just out of insecurity. You can begin to say, Holy Spirit, redefine in me what a right relationship is. Holy Spirit, teach me what love is. It's not a feeling. It's not rooted in fear. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. And God, you are love. Therefore, I need you. I think if, if you're the controlling person, Jesus would look at you and say, get behind me. Let me follow. Here's the thing. We could take this whole message and just talk about other people who are controlling. Or we could really get honest and bring it down to this, that we're all control freaks, aren't we? Don't you want control of your life? I do. I do. I want to make all the decisions. I ultimately believe that I know what's best for me. I know what's best for me more than I think you know what's best for me. That's what I believe. And if I'm honest, I think I often know what's best for me more than what God says is best for me. It's interesting that if you read the last line of this, of this passage, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. You know, there's no command in Scripture for us to be the leader. We're called Christ's followers. The, 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 the phrase that Jesus used when he walks to the 12 disciples is, hey, Peter, follow me. Andrew, follow me. John, follow me. Bartholomew, follow me. Levi, follow me. Thomas, follow me. He didn't say, hey, guys, what do you want to do? He said, no, follow me. Leave what you know. Leave your source of income. Leave your stability and follow me. Wow. What does he remind Peter of? Peter, I don't need you to lead me. I need you to get behind me and let me lead. Let me lead. Christ followers. You know the word lead in Scripture is used like less than 10 times, and the word serve is like used almost 900 times. We're so focused on being a leader, which ultimately we should, but to be a great leader, you have to be a great follower. Right? Follow. See, I said this in the beginning, but control is ultimately an illusion. Ultimately, you're controlling out of fear because you don't want something to happen or you want something to happen. You're afraid it isn't going to happen. And you, you love this person. And some people need a little bit more help, right? And you're like, I just got to keep doing this. I got to keep, because I'm helping them. And, I, and How arrogant of you. 
to think they need you. Was really just supposed to introduce them to Jesus, right? Like, you're their savior? How's that working out for you? You treat them like a child and you think that's going to help them? And they're 45 years old? Well, you don't know. Well, you're right. I don't know the context. But, but controlling is rooted in fear. Fear always leads to control. And fear always causes you to do what you fear the most, ultimately. It's an illusion. Think about what you have control over. You kind of have control over when you wake up in the morning, if you wake up. To some degree, you have control over what you put in your body based on what you eat. You have some control of when you leave the house or work in the morning, depending on if you have a family or not, or kids and stuff. The moment you get on the road, you don't have control. You've got control over your vehicle. If you hit a patch of ice, you lose control. You don't have control over anybody else on the road. You work a job, you don't have control over your job. Someone has control over you. I own my own company. Yeah, but there's outside circumstances and factors going on. You don't have control. You have kids. Why control them? No, you don't. The moment you had that kid, that kid controlled you. (laughs) You're going to feed me, change me, and hold me when I want you to. You shape that child. You mold that child. You send that child to school. They make other decisions. They're at the mercy of a teacher, other kids. Let's, go, let's keep going through the list. We don't really have that much control, yet we want it so bad. And when we can't have control of our life, we're going to try to control someone else or something else. You want to know why I think in churches, and it's not just in churches, any large group setting, why some people control in a church? Because they're not in control of their life. They're not in control of their marriage. They're not in control of their kid. They're not in control of their finances, so they want to control you. That's why people in group settings try to exercise control because they're exercising it out of a a place that they don't feel like they have it. That's why, I mean, I do that. Because being in control really isn't that much fun. I I learned this valuable lesson being the pastor of this church, and I ain't controlling nothing. I'm a servant. I got to lead. If you all don't show up, (coughs) we're closing the doors. (coughs) I'm not in control. That's what God is saying is, look, hey, you want to be in control? Here's the best way to deal with control. Let it go. And I think the difficulty is, as we look at this cosmic deity of God who's outside of us, who transcends us, and we're like, he just has some cosmic complex. He wants to be in control. Not really. I mean, he is. But he, I don't think God's a control freak. I think God is just a father who wants to lead, who's looking at people say, will you trust me? I mean, he told Adam and Eve, here's the parameters, man. Function in it. If you do this, great. If you do this, eh. And they did the, eh, and this happened. And then he steps in, and he sends Jesus, and he's saying, hey, follow me, follow me. That's what he was saying in the garden. Follow me. I created you. I've given you autonomy. I've given you free will. Follow me. Where there is no choice, there really is no love, is there? If love is compulsory, if love is just robotic, it ceases to be love. He's saying, follow me. Ultimately, if you could leave out of here today with one thing, The one thing wouldn't be the three things I gave you. It would be follow him. If you want to be my followers, give up your own way and follow me. Wow, that's hard. That's what being a Christ follower is, is saying, here's everything. Here's my stability perceived. Here's my, you know, my way of life. Here's my paradigms. Here's all this, God. I, I, I set it down to follow you, trusting that you have a better way. He'll never leave. He'll never forsake. He provides every one of our needs according to our riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying, follow me. That's how you deal with control. You give it up. 
and you follow. Jesus said, to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. Those statements start to make more sense, don't they? To find yourself, you have to lose yourself, and you lose yourself in him. Many years ago, there was a song that came out. Many of you have heard it. I have decided to follow Jesus. Right? Great song. I love that song. Very simple. I started to study in. I said, who wrote that song? Where was it written? Here's the story. You can fact check it, but here's the story I've heard multiple times. It was a man in India, a Christ follower, in a, in a village or a town that was very uh, against God. They had a, this antipathy towards God and this hatred. And they, they found out that he was a, a Christian, and they brought him and his family in, and they said, hey, if you renounce Christ, renounce this belief in God, then we'll let you live. If you don't, then we'll kill you. They give him an opportunity to speak, standing there with his family. And the words that come out of his mouth, this is the story that goes, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus, the world behind me, the cross before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. They kill him. They kill his family. The control that he had in that moment was his ability to renounce Christ and live. Logically, I think I know what decision I would make. I'm going to stay alive. My kids are going to stay alive. Maybe God would forgive me. You know, go through those things. But no, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me, I have decided to follow Jesus. Powerful. He gave up control. And you're like, he lost. He lost his life. But did he really? Didn't he just gain eternity? And here we are, many years later, impacted by his decision to not be in control, but ultimately his decision to follow Jesus. I would encourage you this morning to take inventory and to think about what does it really mean to follow Jesus in my marriage, my finances, my job, my, inter- my, my relationships with people. Whatever the case may be, how do I take my hands off of it? How do I stop squeezing it to death out of fear and control? How do I serve my spouse, serve my kids, serve my job? How do I become a servant? How do I become a follower? And really to be able to say, I have decided, perfect tense, present perfect tense, I have decided to follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads? I just want to ask a question here this morning. I just want to pray. Two groups of people, number one, if you would say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm a controller. I'll just be honest. I told you I like to lead people to a place of authenticity and action. And I need help. I need to follow Jesus. I need to relinquish control because I'm, I'm ate up with fear and insecurity, and I'm not malicious. I'm just, I'm just afraid. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Secondly, you say, you know what, uh, I, I don't necessarily feel like a controller in that aspect of other people, but I'm just, I, just need to, I just need to follow Jesus. I need to really make a decision here this morning to follow Jesus in every area of my life. Is that, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to follow him. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for being a good, good father. I thank you you're not a control freak, but I thank you that you're good. You ultimately know what's best for us. You said you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. You said that we could approach you, your throne of grace and mercy, in our time of need to receive that grace and mercy. I pray for those individuals who were honest and said, hey, look, I'm controlling. 
I'm controlling other people. Holy Spirit, may you begin to reveal Jesus to them. May they have that confrontation with you and that you, they would see that you're not going to cast them away, but you're going to look them in the eye and say, get behind me. Follow. I'll teach you how to love. I'll teach you how to lead. I'll teach you how to serve. I'll teach you how to be a better father, husband, employee, boss, whatever the case may be. Help them to follow you. Lord, I pray for the individuals that raised their hand, those that didn't, that said, hey, I'm ultimately trying just to be in control of my life and I'm having trouble following Jesus. Because you never ask us to be the leader, God. You ask us to be a steward. You ask us to follow. Help those people who said, I want to follow Jesus, Holy Spirit. I pray you would reveal Jesus to them in this moment and they too could say, I have decided to follow Jesus. Just like those four individuals who were baptized this morning making a statement in front of everyone, I have decided to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray, help everyone in this room. Help us to be great followers of you, great servants of you. Entrust us, Lord, with resources that we can use to serve and to follow. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Pray you bless this week. Pray you just warm it up so we can get to spring really quick. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said a big amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.